as we approach sentencing, the judge has asked the defense team to supply briefs on our behalf that kind of represent who I am as a person, and she wants to review that. And of course, probation has provided their sentencing report, and then she's also asked if there are any letters of character reference that should be submitted, please do so. There were over 67 letters. I ha actually have in my possession 67 letters of people from all walks of life from all over the United States who supplied letters directly to the judge. Uh, I'm not going to read 67 letters, but I do want you to get a feel for what the judge had in her head as she approached my sentencing. And we're going to use first names only. Uh, this is one of the agents who worked in my company named Frank. Dear Judge, I was recruited into the business of building net worth for families by a business partner. I rapidly learned how money worked for myself and for my family. I was so proud of what I was learning. I was offered a part-time financial consulting position with this company and entered a training program that could help me learn how to do the business. In May of 2003, I qualified to meet the founder and CEO of the company. I lived in San Francisco. The company's founder lived in Las Vegas. On that day, I met James Catledge. I had been a full-time licensed physical therapist, worked for professional football and baseball teams as a therapist. But meeting James Catledge, I can't say I've ever met a man quite like James. I decided on that day that I would become a full-time financial advisor. James took on the duty, the responsibility of mentoring me. This was over 15 years ago now. I've dedicated my life, my career, my family to the principles I learned from this man and from this business. In 2009, I started my own financial services company. James was busy fighting this case and had to close down the very business that I had been recruited into. The transition, however, worked quite well. James had taught me how to become independent, how to run a business, how money worked, all the things necessary to be successful. I want you to know, Judge, James, nor his marketing team, nor his financial services firm, had zero fault in this financial scam designed by the Elliott Group, specifically Fred Elliott and Derek Elliott. I've had the opportunity of attending multiple meetings where Fred and Derek provided the training around their products. I knew these men. I knew they talked out of both sides of their mouth. I know for certain James Catledge has done nothing wrong here. I consider James the number one person in my life today, besides my sweet wife, Patrice. Thousands of people across the United States are better off financially because of the mission and vision and leadership driven by James Catledge. In 2015, I moved from the Bay Area to San Diego, where James and his family lived, because I wanted to be closer. I consider James a mentor, a very good personal friend. I feel privileged to have this man in my life. 
in spite of all the struggle that this case has caused, he and his family, he continues to mentor me. He continues to find the time to be with me, to guide me in my new business. I'm appalled that the Elliots have attempted to blame this on him. I personally put money into the project. I am a victim, but I'm not a victim of James Catledge. I'm a beneficiary of James Catledge's. I'm a victim of what the Elliots did. He was and always will be my mentor in life and in business. I respectfully submit this to the court as you consider James's sentencing consequences. Sincerely, Frank. These letters are hard to read. This letter's from Jerry. My name is Jerry, and I have personally known James for 21 years. We first met shortly after I retired from the United States Air Force after 22 decorated years. I consider James to be one of my closest friends. I was his chief financial officer. He could be considered my best friend. And I wish to communicate to you what a good friend and business associate he has been to me since we met. After my 22-year military career, I wanted to pursue a lifelong desire to be a financial advisor. I started to pursue my dream with personal reading and was hired on by the American Express financial advisor firm. Shortly after starting, a friend of mine suggested I visit with James, who is a legend in this space. He was already a very successful entrepreneur in his 20s. He ran his own financial services firm. After our very first meeting, I'll never forget that meeting. I shortly joined James and his firm as one of his advisors because of his high level of integrity and character. One of the most important traits I look for in my friends and business associates is a high degree of integrity. It has played a large part in my life and the decisions I've made, especially as I advanced in my military career. I was used to being surrounded by men and women who set high moral standards. There were great personal examples of integrity and character. I found James to be right in line with this continued mission, to be an example to me and many others throughout the years. James is a leader. I knew I could go on and on writing how strongly I feel about my good friend. But if it would please the court, it may be more important for you to have examples of character integrity that may be more valuable to you. Without becoming too verbose, here are just a few examples. In January 2003, he founded the company, Impact, a financial services firm dedicated to helping people build net worth. He founded this company with his own money. He cashed out several large personal investments, one of those his own insurance policy, placing his own family at risk if something were to have happened to him in the early days of the foundation of this company. He knew he needed to create a place for all his associates to hang their financial consulting licenses to keep an income stream for their families. No other person had the financial means to do this. Myself and several others put in sweat equity to try to offset all the money he was having to pour in. Throughout this very stressful period, I never heard him complain. In fact, he was the main driver 
cheerleader, ensuring our new company was going to be successful. Shortly after starting the company, James received word that a friend of his, his age, and fellow business associate in Idaho had passed away suddenly from a heart attack. This person was only in his 30s and had a wife and five children and no personal life insurance. James wrote a check from his personal bank account for $10,000, had me send it to the widow so funeral expenses and immediate needs could be covered. James did this without any reservation, no fanfare. No one but I knew it even happened. No one knew about this until me writing this into this letter today. I've been around James and his family on numerous occasions and have always been a dedicated, have seen him always as a dedicated family man who dotes on his children and is always providing the best he can for their education and upbringing. It breaks my heart to think that James could be serving any time and be separated his family for any reason. I can only hope and pray that this does not happen. There are many more instances I could write about. I managed his money. I was the company's financial officer. I personally know no scheme was afoot here. I know it weighs heavily on him that many good people, even his own family, have lost a great portion of their investments in the Elliott Group properties. He and his wife also have lost big. I cut those checks. I cannot imagine the daunting task you have in determining James's fate. I only hope this letter can provide a small degree of clarity about the character of this man. He really is a good man who deserves a chance to remain with his family and in the community. He's been a selfless, dedicated business leader, humbly submitted, Jerry, Major, United States Air Force, retired. This is from Monty. To the Honorable Judge Chesney, I am a lawyer. I am James's lawyer. Between 2008 and 2011, I represented James Catledge and his various entities in the many civil litigation matters arising across the United States from the same facts at the core of this criminal matter. At that time, I was a partner at the Boise, Idaho law firm, Belknap, Stewart, Taylor, and Morris, and an active member of the bar in each of the four states involved in pending and threatening action. As James's lead civil litigator, I also interacted with investigating and prosecuting federal law enforcement personnel and entities, collectively the government, under the direction of James's lead criminal defense attorney, David. Through it all, I gained a thorough knowledge of the facts of this case. Nearly universal settlement with those claimants, James's character, and his family. As an additional note on my background, I served from 92 and 93 by the appointment from the Federal District Court Judge in Nevada as a United States Attorney for the District of Nevada and have other criminal prosecution experience in Utah. I have a high regard for the work of federal law enforcement and, of course, the federal judiciary in this criminal justice system. The civil claimants and their lawyers, we engaged with many scores of claimants residing in Idaho, Utah, Nevada, California, and other various states. The Idaho Attorney General 
office represented the Idaho claimants. I do note specifically that one of the attorneys, a straggler, continued to harass James and his family. This was unnecessary. We were busy settling the matter and attempting to make her client whole while she continued to obsess over this case. I refer to all counsel just referenced except for this straggler. In pursuit of a universal settlement, fairly early on in my representation of James, trying to get a universal global settlement, that became my primary task. It was a big and difficult task because there were so many different claimants and law firms with the new claimants coming forward every day, it seemed. Because of this understandably strong feelings about the matter, because of my felt need to keep the government and also Salt Lake City and the SEC in the loop, I was aided both by James's resolve to do the right thing and to be honest and forthcoming with opposing counsel relative to his assets and financial status. We actually hired a forensic accounting firm. James paid for this spent over $150,000 with the firm of Ide Bailey conducting a forensic audit. My suggestion, James financed. We succeeded. We finalized a lengthy, complex settlement in July of 2011, which operated to distribute the net proceeds of James's assets onto all the many claimants and their counsel. The settlement agreement contains a covenant of confidentiality but one that allows a disclosure under compulsion of court order. I urge your honor to secure a copy of the settlement agreement and review it carefully because of the bright light it shines on James's efforts to do the right thing by the claimants, to make full and honest financial disclosures to opposing counsel, and even to allow, at the very last second, this obsessed straggler to even benefit. Through this process, James... His wife and their six children no longer were able to reside in their home. James's candor in all situations. Over three years, I saw and heard James make hundreds of factual statements about his knowledge, his conduct, some of, some of this knowledge and conduct in a number of settings, including his communications with the government at the pre-indictment proffer, provided in San Francisco that I personally attended. In all those communications, James was cooperative, candid, and very forthcoming. I never saw him caught in a lie. I believe he never lied to me or to any of the others listed above. I think of him as an honest man under a very bad influence and machinations of the Elliots. I think he looked to Fred almost as a father figure. James's character and his family. I spent many hundreds of hours with James over three years. I represented him in every civil case. We talked about many things, especially because it was just in him to do so, his family. From all I saw and heard, I came to understand that James is a genuinely good and devoted man. He's a devoted husband and father. There's no pretense here, no show. No managing appearances. I know the victims. Those claimants worked very hard to help, by the way, this settlement agreement. He wanted them made whole. 
Tiffany and the children deserve a place on your radar screen, Judge. Accordingly, I request that you please try and fashion the sentence, which would not require James to serve any time in federal prison, as imprisonment would strictly be punitive. It's not deserved in this case. It would be greater than necessary, especially due to the disparity in conduct between Mr. Catledge and Mr. Elliott. Mr. Catledge has no criminal history. I'm not sure there's criminal history here. Thank you for your time and consideration. Coach Steve, I'm writing this letter in support of James, who is scheduled to present himself in the court on October 24, 2018. I was in secondary and collegiate education and coaching for 40 years. My education is a BS degree from UC Irvine and a master's degree in education from Fresno Pacific University. I was the head basketball coach in high school, junior college, and at the Division I level. The last 14 years, I have been the head coach of men's basketball at both BYU and Fresno State. I am currently a college basketball TV analyst. I've had the opportunity to interact and meet people from all over the world during my 40 years of coaching. I met James in 1998 while I was the head basketball coach at BYU. We became very good friends, and I had the opportunity to travel with James. He's been in my home. He stayed the night in my home on many occasions. I also had the opportunity to be with him in his home and develop a wonderful relationship with he, his wife, and his children. During the past 20 years, I've only known him as a loving, kind father and as a great friend who I would characterize as a man of integrity. I don't have an in-depth understanding of Impact's business, but I have watched him interact with many of his clients, friends. I've attended his seminars, his family, and was always genuine and sincere in his commitment to help these people with their personal insurance and investments. My thoughts are primarily focused on my relationship with James and his character and integrity. I cannot stress this enough. I have seen throughout our 20 years, this stands out. My first experiences with James were social. We, we played lots of golf together. You really can learn a lot about a man on the golf course. I know this sounds trite, but I've coached for 20 plus years at the collegiate level, and I'm keenly aware of human nature. Men who cut corners, break the rules, lack complete integrity, lots of shortcuts. This is common. One round of golf with James, and I knew he had a sense of being honest and fair. He does not cut corners. He was always committed to playing by the rules of the game, which you may understand are harsh. I saw him as a father, a husband who taught his children right and wrong and to live life accordingly. I admired James's faith in God, his commitment to helping others, and being an example of truth and integrity with everyone. I know this experience has been devastating for his children and especially his wife. James has paid a price financially and personally. He tried to help all of these people who lost money by giving them his assets. But his greatest pain has been the pain and hurt in his children. If there's one thing I've learned in my association with James over the past 20 years is that he is an honorable man. He has always been honest and transparent in all of our experiences together. My trust in James comes from 20 years of a wonderful personal relationship in business, church, lots of consulting, private discussions, 
It is my hope and prayer that my thoughts and insights will assist you, Judge, in helping a better judge, James Catledge, in your courtroom for sentencing. Respectfully, Steve. These are just a few of the letters from very, very good friends who stood up in my time of need. And I thought you should know this because these things were shared with the judge and she has this knowledge as she plans to sentence me. I've got one more letter I'm going to read. It's from a victim who lost a tremendous amount of money. He was also an associate of ours. He was so highly educated, it was his suggestion that a client committee be formed in the early days of our concern about the Elliots. He led that committee. He helped me pick out the law firm in Miami to represent us as we sued the Elliots in all those jurisdictions. Richard's letter is deep. It's long. It, de- it deals with the legalities associated with the case. Both Richard's letter and Jack's letter must be heard. I'll share those with you shortly. This is Inside Out with James Catledge. You should know this letter from Richard. Uh, Richard is a very, very special individual. Not only highly educated, but he's a victim of this crime. He lost a lot of money, he and his wife. He was also an associate inside the business of Impact Net Worth. Richard uh, formed a committee of clients that uh, were large. People have lost a lot of money. And that committee would meet weekly and have me come and speak to them and have me over the phone speaking to them, answering their questions. As things got somewhat untrustworthy from the Elliot's perspective, this committee became the sole source of trusted information to communicate to clients. And the law firm we hired in Miami reported to this committee. So Richard was the director and the head of that committee. This is Richard's letter, Your Honor. I'm writing this letter in support of Mr. James Catledge, who pursuant to a plea agreement is scheduled to present himself in your court in October for disposition of his case. For more than 50 years, I've been self-employed as a businessman. My education includes a bachelor's degree in physics and mathematics granted by Brigham Young University in 1968 and an MBA with emphasis in finance received from the same university in 1970. For more than 12 years after graduation, I worked in the areas of international banking and corporate finance. Since 1983, I've formed and worked in a number of my own corporations, some of which have been fairly successful. In addition to the foregoing, I am currently a licensed principal, real estate broker in Utah and Idaho, and I hold an insurance license in the state of Utah. Throughout the term of my education and my business pursuits, I have always tried to rely on logic and careful analysis rather than emotion in the evaluation of business situations and opportunities. I have tried to apply those same analytical principles as they relate to Mr. Catledge and his business activities as outlined on the following pages. Please accept my apology in advance for the length of this letter. There is too much to convey. In early 2006, I was invited by a friend to attend a meeting, a seminar 
in order to learn about a company designed to educate people on how to build net worth. This company, Impact Net Worth, was founded by Mr. Catledge. He was its leader and its CEO. Prior to this time, I had never heard of Mr. Catledge, had no historical knowledge or background with him. In addition to education, Impact offered a variety of products, including life insurance, annuities, mortgages, real estate interest. At the time, I became acquainted with Impact. It was offering timeshare and fractional ownership interest in high-end resort condominiums in the Dominican Republic. These real estate products were developed by Canadian Fred Elliott and his son, Derek Elliott, and there are several companies domiciled in Canada and a number of Caribbean countries. Impact and Catledge had been retained as agents to offer these products in the United States. Being an agent is a distinction I wish for the court to understand here. These real estate products were a, of particular interest to me because I had previously purchased and profited handsomely from a similar resort interest in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Based on my evaluation, the Dominican Republic real estate offering with Maxim's marketing assistance, particularly the fractional ownership interest, held at least as much potential for me as my Jackson Hole properties. I had made out very good in Wyoming. Sometime after I began my association with Impact Net Worth, I was approached about the possibility of utilizing my real estate licenses on behalf of the company and in the sale of the aforementioned Dominican real estate interest. In early 2007, I was invited to attend meetings at the company's Las Vegas headquarters to learn more about the products being offered in the DR. I, together with other real estate professionals, was introduced to the Maxim Bungalows, a new line of fractional ownership interest five-star resort accommodations that were to be made available by the Elliots on property adjacent to their existing Sun Village Resort on the North Shore of the Dominican Republic. This introduction was made by one of the world's foremost real estate legal firms, Greenberg Targ, which had been retained by the Elliots to review the offering and consumer documents necessary to affect sales of these international real estate products. The gentleman's presentation was so impressive, and given the fact he was a lawyer with this prestigious real estate firm, gave me further comfort that we were in the right place at the right time. Well, I never did utilize my real estate licenses, either on behalf of Impact or the Elliots. I came away from those meetings impressed, not only with the products, but with the care that I that I believe this prestigious real estate law firm had taken to document the sales and protect purchasers' interests. My wife and I traveled to the D Dominican Republic for the first time in the summer of 07. The purpose of our visit was to see and consider the possible purchase of a fractional ownership interest in the Maxim Bungalows. These units were beautiful. They had already built out the models much more so than anything we owned in Jackson Hole. And with the promised advertising support of Maxim Magazine and a much longer rental season in the Caribbean, there was a very reasonable expectation of significantly higher rental income. We decided that this was a very attractive opportunity. It penciled well. 
and we purchased three one-week ownership interest. There was no financing used for these purchases. We paid cash. In the first quarter of 2008, I added an additional one week of fractional interest to the Elliott's Wondolio Hotel project on the south shore of the Dominican Republic. This purchase brought the total of our product purchases approximately to $115,000. We subsequently have lost it all. Some purchasers lost much less than us, but many lost much more. By mid-2008, it was becoming apparent that the Elliott's were having cash flow problems. They were missing many payments promised to purchasers and commissions for sales of their real estate products were also delayed. At the request of the Elliott's, Impact sales leaders met with them and agreed to measures to alleviate these problems. The Elliott's, however, were unable or unwilling to honor these new provisions and agreed upon that were agreed upon in that meeting. Finally, in August of 08, Impact Management decided that real estate sales for the Elliott's in good faith could no longer be made. That announcement was made. These events coincided with the worldwide recession in the real estate crisis of 2008, and the Elliott's did not have the necessary resources to continue in business without the cash flow from Impact. In their desperation, and I believe it was desperate, the Elliott's decided to accelerate all amounts owing under notes that they had been written in which purchasers of Wondolio fractional ownership interest had put 50% of their deposit down to buy the unit and were not asked to pay the other 50% until the Wondolio renovation project was complete and a certificate of occupancy would be made available at that time. This acceleration of the notes was an action proposed despite both verbal and written assurances having been made previously that no payments of interest or principal would be required until the Wondolio project was open for business. A good friend of mine, whom I introduced to Impact, and who lost many times the amount of money that I lost, joined with me in the formation of what had become known as the E-Clients Committee, E for Elliott. Our purpose was to bring as many purchasers of the various Elliott products together to commence legal proceedings to protect us. Those who had signed notes and try to recoup as much of the monies that we had entrusted to the Elliots as possible. This friend and I deliberately decided that we would not invite any officers, directors, or shareholders of impact to join us directly. The committee as finally formed included four members who had been impact agents and three members who were strictly purchasers of the Elliott products. Together, we formed a group of several hundred former purchasers. This was called the Elliott Client Committee. This committee met with the Elliots on many occasions. If the Elliots had not threatened the wrongful acceleration of purchaser notes, it is unlikely that this committee would have been formed and the subsequent legal action would have commenced at all. Later in the fall of 08, shortly after the formation of this committee, we commenced legal action against the Elliots. We hired a law firm in Miami, Mr. Catless joined us in this effort, helped pay for all of the upfront legal work necessary to prove up the case. Unfortunately, our group was unable to raise sufficient funds. 
So in order for the action not to be abandoned, it should be noted that while Mr. Catledge had no formal role in the committee, he was most supportive of our efforts, both financially and verbally, providing all background information necessary to help us in our efforts. With the loss of the real estate assets to foreclosure in that legal case, a literal firestorm of legal action ensued. Many of these actions were directed at Mr. Catledge directly and his organization with little effort made to ascertain the cause of this devastation. Perhaps the single most telling piece of evidence in this regard was the historical cash flow analysis, analysis and balance sheet document provided by Gomez, Nina, and Associates, the Elliott's outside accounting firm in the Dominican Republic. This document provided as a part of the discovery process to the Elliott Clank Committee. Page six of this document, a copy which is attached here too, is a certified cash flow statement for the Elliott's from March 05 to the end of 08. It includes cash flows, inflows, and outflows associated with the sales and construction of the real estate interest sold to clients of impact and its entities. Impact was by far the largest of these outside sales organizations. Over the nearly four-year period covered by the cash flow statement, Impact received $31 million. Again, Impact was by far the largest of these outside groups. Sales commissions paid to Impact ranged from 16 to 20% of total sales. After the agreed-upon commissions paid to outside sales organizations, the net amount of cash proceeds available to the Elliots for the completion of the resorts was just over $60 million. With mortgage loans received from banks, this amount rose to approximately $70 million. It is most distressing to note that rather than applying all sales proceeds to the construction of the resort properties, and scheduled amortization of the associated bank loans, large sums of money were siphoned from purchasers' accounts and loaned or paid to Elliott-related parties. The total funds loaned or otherwise paid as management fees and commissions to the Elliott's was over $25 million. At the end of 2008, when the properties were lost to foreclosure, Construction of the Maxim bungalows was essentially complete. It was, an esti- it was estimated that only $13 million would be required to complete construction at Wondolio, and yet $25 million was missing. Had the Elliott simply retained the purchase monies and used them appropriately, they could have finished both resorts, repaid the full outstanding balances to the associated bank loans, and plenty of funds to spare. Had this been done, not a single purchaser would have had a nickel to lose. The Elliots apparently made the mistake of thinking that the funds would flow forever, and they misappropriated purchase funds that should have been used as representative purchasers of these products. Mr. Catlett's performed exactly as he had agreed to with the Elliots. Approximately half of the commissions received from the sales of Elliott projects was used to compensate members of the sales team that made each sale. The other half was retained by impact and used for marketing programs to compensate management, for overhead, for profits. It should also be noted 
that a share of the profits was used for humanitarian projects in which all persons associated with impact took significant pride. I personally was involved in these humanitarian projects that impact financed. In light of the foregoing, and if Mr. Catledge is indeed innocent of wrongdoing in his conduct of business, why would he accept a plea agreement offered by the AUSA instead of fighting to clear his name? The answer is quite simple. When I was a child, my parents gave me a brief explanation of our legal system. At that time, I thought that if I was ever charged with a crime, I would simply appear in court, tell the truth, and be allowed to return home. Experience on this earth has since taught me that the real world is not so simple. To suggest that it would be daunting to face charges filed by the U.S. Attorney's Office would be a gross understatement. The risk of going to trial incurring enormous cost, both emotional and financial, and facing an adversary with great talent and unlimited resources would simply be too much for anyone. Certainly one would hope for an acquittal. Restore your reputation. But if instead one were judged to be guilty of a long list of charges, the resulting sentence might as well be the balance of a person's life. Better to agree to a plea to a single lesser charge and pray for the mercy of this court. In closing, I know that when Mr. Catledge appears before you, there will be many who will describe in detail the devastation that their purchases of Elliott products has caused in their lives. This devastation is real. It's been real for me. Great amounts of money have been lost. The financial lives of many purchasers have been ruined. Many of these persons will plead that the greatest sentence possible be levied against Mr. Catledge. Mr. Catledge is the face of their grief and their very real financial woes. I would suggest, however, that since I really do know what's happening, that while their desire for justice is warranted, the focus of their anger is absolutely misplaced. It was the Elliots who took their money, misappropriated it, and caused it to be lost. It was not Mr. Catledge. I know this. I've reviewed the discovery. Finally, I've had a close association with Mr. Catledge since the fall of 08 when he stepped in and did everything within his power to help our committee in its efforts to exact justice from the Elliots. I have met with Mr. Catledge a number of times over the past 10 years. He has always expressed great sorrow over what happened to so many people, including my wife and I. He has used his own resources. He's given up his family home. He remains very close to his children. He has lost his marriage. He has lost his reputation among many who simply don't have a clue about what happened. Each time I've met with him over this period, it is evident. He has aged far more than the years alone would warrant. I would pray that as you ponder Mr. Catledge's fate, that you consider what I've tried to communicate to you in this letter, and that you judge him accordingly. Respectfully, Richard. This is Inside Out with James Catledge. Hi. My name is Jack. I've been a friend of James Catledge since 2006. I've been involved in this case tangentially as a friend 
in 2018 at the request of his criminal defense team in Las Vegas, I was asked to write a letter to the court in support of the plea bargain agreement that James had reached with his lawyers and it was pending a uh, court appearance and a review and a decision by the court. So I did write a letter dated June 4th, 2018, a draft letter to be submitted to the lawyers for their review. I did do that. The lawyers got hold of me and said, uh, we cannot submit this letter to the court. We are looking for approval of the plea bargain, and this letter will defeat that purpose probably because the court may read what you say and decide to send this case to trial and to a jury. So they set this aside. A new letter was written by them, and I made minor modifications to it, and uh, that letter was uh, submitted to the court. But in any event, James asked me to read my original draft in a voice memo so he could incorporate this in one of his podcasts. So that is what I am doing now. Again, dated June 4th, 2018, draft letter to the Honorable Judge, 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 United States District Court for San Francisco, in Ray James Catledge. May it please the court. My name is Jack. I am writing this letter on behalf of my friend, James Catledge, in support of his upcoming probation hearing before this court. I am 70 years old and an inactive member of the California Bar Loyola Law School JD 1976. I never practiced law. I am a retired CPA and business executive. I have evaluated many investment deals over the years. James Catledge and I became close personal friends shortly after we met in 2006 through the game of golf. Only golfers know that the game bears one's soul. There is no hiding of one's personality imperfections. It takes only a few rounds of play with a man to know who he is, his honesty, integrity, character. One can tell whether he lies or cheats, or remain silent when other players do the same. In short, you know whether he can be trusted because he is a man of character. If you get to know a golfer well, you won't hesitate to trust him on any occasion. James Catledge is a man of character. I've played many rounds of golf with James, traveled with him extensively, had many meals and lengthy conversations with him. I think he, I think I know him as well as anybody I have ever known in my life. We are good friends, 
which is saying a lot these days because we are of opposite political views. He has been my house guest on several occasions, and we have many mutual friends who have the same high regard for his moral standing as do I. When the indictment hearing was held in San Francisco some five years ago or so, James was delighted that I asked to accompany him to the hearing in San Francisco. I knew it would be a very lonely event for him. We drove all night from San Diego to get there because James would not miss his son's junior varsity football game before we left town. He, he has six children, and I have not known him to miss any important event in their lives. His marriage succumbed to the pressures, financial and personal, of this lengthy legal proceeding a couple of years ago. Nevertheless, he has made sure to always be there for his wife and children and to protect them from the savage and relentless attacks and stalking by some of the investors and one of their attorneys for many years. I witnessed one such attack outside your courtroom after the indictment hearing. Fortunately, the FBI officers were there and quickly intervened to protect James from an assault. I have learned quite a bit about the real estate investment deal in the Dominican Republic that is the subject matter of the indictment through my personal discussions with James. I have also met his lawyers and his former company's chief financial officer. I would like to share some of my observations about the circumstances relating to the charges against James which are pending before the court as they are very relevant to my thoughts about his plea arrangement and probation consideration. James's company, Impact Net Worth, sold life insurance and other financial products to middle-class families who were interested in building their net worth over the long haul. I believe Impact had several hundred agents and several thousand clients at the time of the Dominican real estate investment. The Canadian developer of the Dominican property was looking for a new agent to handle their property sales, timeshares, and fractional ownerships, and found James and Impact through a mutual acquaintance. Eventually, Impact became a sales agent for the project. The developer was the principal. Impact was the agent. Very important distinction. My understanding of the relationship is that the developer retained 100% of the decision-making with respect to the project development, cash management and control, timing of expenditures, and preparation of all marketing materials and full accounting control. It was not a joint development project of the developer and impact. The developer was also responsible for making payments to investors, many of whom were impact clients, for non-use fees, quarterly fees which investors earned in lieu of using their purchase time 
at the property by putting the rooms in the rental pool. The very heart of the collapse of the Dominican project, in my opinion, was caused by the developer's failure to make timely non-UC payments and other payments due investors. James became very concerned about the delay, called the developer, got an explanation that it was a back office snafu, and the checks were immediately mailed out. The same thing happened the next quarter, and James became very alarmed, immediately arranged a meeting with the developer and the developer's son and the Impact Net Worth Management team, at which time they found out the developer was having cash problems and could not meet the payments. Because James had thousands of investors in the deal, including himself and many of Impact's own agents, and because James and the Impact team could not get answers to their questions about why the cash wasn't there to pay investors and construction expenses, James and Impact filed an action for an accounting in federal district court in Miami, being the closest U.S. jurisdiction to the Dominican Republic. The court appointed a magistrate. The magistrate appointed a receiver. The debt holders foreclosed on the property, and the investors lost their equity. To the best of my knowledge, the developer committed two fatal errors that caused the financial problems. First, the investors paid 50% cash down payment and the remaining 50% by promissory note secured by the property. The sales commissions earned by impact were paid out of the investors' down payments, so it was planned the developer would sell or factor the promissory notes to obtain the funds to complete the project. They failed to complete their plans to do so, leaving the cash shortfalls for project completion. Second, apparently some significant amount of money was diverted by the developer's son for payment of gambling debts and to finance an ill-conceived Hollywood movie. As a result, the developer was not able to meet the non-use fund payment obligation to investors, but it also fell short of the funds required to finish the project. Was there a conspiracy to commit fraud by the developer? I don't know, maybe embezzlement. On the part of impact and cattleage? Far beyond reasonable doubt. What possible reason would there be for an independent sales agent to conspire with a developer he hardly knows to bilk thousands of his firm's valued clients out of millions of dollars? It took many years for Impact to build up its client base, its biggest asset. For the benefit of a Canadian developer in the Dominican Republic, this is just beyond the pale, and I don't think any jury would disagree with me. The U.S. attorney does not have a Bernie Madoff situation here, and this case should not have gotten this far, notwithstanding the political pressure to pursue cases where significant amounts of money were lost. The court must also take notice of the fact 
that the pre-recession real estate market was market was pretty robust. The timeshare and fractional ownership investments at the heart of this case seem to be economically viable with reasonable returns. Prior Dominican developments by this developer were successful. Other American firms were developing near, nearby property. When the financial crisis and the Great Recession hit in 2007, many real estate developments collapsed because finance, financing disappeared virtually overnight. Projects were delayed or abandoned. Banks and Wall Street firms went bankrupt, and investors lost billions. Most real estate deals that collapsed did so not because there was conspiracy to defraud money from investors, but because credit dried up. Financial markets declined by 50%, and jobs were being lost at 700000 per month. Every real estate transaction that I have been involved in over the years has risk. Some worked out, others did not. But not many that were being done around the time of the Dominican deal were able to survive the financial crisis. The great irony in this case is that James and Impact had, had they not acted to seek protection for investors in the Miami court filing, the debt holders of the Dominican project might have done a workout with the developer and with the passage of time and perhaps an equity infusion from a corporate partner like Maxim, the project could likely have been completed and the investors might not have lost their money. All of the what ifs. Does this mean there was fraud or conspiracy to create fraud here? Impact was not the principal. They were often at odds with the principal. Where was the fraud? At the outset? Not if the deal was economical. Somewhere along the way? What about the diverted funds by the developer's son? Malfeasance by the developer and a failure to obtain the financing that probably would have completed the project, albeit with small returns to the investors? Sounds like it. Conspiracy to commit mail fraud? No way. My belief is not only is James Gatledge not guilty, he is innocent. I believe that there are a hundred points of reasonable doubt for the fact finders in this case. It makes me so sad that James and his attorneys feel, like, feel that the unpredictable of a jury and a possible lengthy incarceration significantly outweighs what I consider to be a grossly unfair plea deal. But I'm just a friend that knows this defendant better than anyone in the large circle of the court's jurisdiction. Not all investment deals work out. There are risks. It does not mean someone must be held accountable in criminal court for real estate investments that don't work out. There are so many, there were so many extenuating circumstances in real estate investments at this time. A quick drive around Las Vegas 11 years later reminds us of that. 
James Catledge has paid the price financially and personally. It has been more than five years since the charges were filed. His marriage broke up. He is at the peak of his income-generating years. His second child begins college this fall, four more to follow. He must provide for his wife and children. He has to make some income. He certainly can't do it from behind bars. It would be further tragedy to all, except those investors who are seeking a punishment does not that does not fit the crime. Yeah, I'm still angry with the stockbrokers, wealth managers, private equity fund managers, etc. that put me in money-losing deals over the years. But I don't stop them, and I don't sue them. Respectfully submitted. Now you've heard the letters. Again, I just used a sample. I wanted you to hear from people who lost money, my dearest, brightest friends, and then, of course, a couple of guys who worked with me. Uh, now you know what the judge knows. You, you know she's read this plus many more letters. She's got a real sense for who I am as she faces me for sentencing. And one thing I think you've probably picked up, and this has been a longer episode because I, I wanted these letters to, to be heard by you as they were sent to the judge. Uh, but one of the things you pick up is this, the closest of friends were really upset about me making this shift to plead guilty to something. And I get that. And I, I think for them, they, it, it pains them to have me uh, in their mind, this is this is in the framework of each of our minds, right? We 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 place judgment on folks who plead guilty. We we have in our mindset a judgment about someone who's pled guilty. I think of Michael Milken, who who cleared his name many many years ago, but he did plead guilty to some complicated securities fraud way back in the day when junk bonds were being developed. And the, the guy's an incredible philanthropist today, an incredible financier, one of the more brilliant men that's ever been on Wall Street. But he did plead guilty to a technical securities crime. And so with, with, with that mindset that pleading guilty means that you'll carry some type of scar tissue for the balance of your life, I, I think that's just the decision I had to come to. It was either that or, or uh, carry scar tissue and, and wear... Um, wear the same pants and shirt and belt for the next 15 years while I explain to my peers in a prison yard somewhere how innocent I am. So I had a choice to make. Uh, find something that I could get, get good with in my mind uh, or, or place the unlikely odds of my case in front of a jury. Uh, a grand jury had already indicted. Uh, the prosecution knew that the case for them is quite simple. I made money. Many people lost money. My company made money. These people lost money. Uh, I, I was in a position to know uh, and so should have known. And the, the jury's simply going to look at the losses and look at the victims and, and declare me a, a privileged, successful entrepreneur who should have done a better job protecting them. And that logic finally sank in with me that that is probably the end result. If I put this in front of 12 peers and hope they can understand the, the nuances, but you, but you could hear it in the letters. 
the, the smartest, brightest, most compassionate friends really upset that I chose this path. And, and frankly, not just upset with me, but upset with a system that would force someone, you, me, anybody, into a, a lose-lose game. And so that's where we are. We're back in the courtroom now. And in our next episode, we're going to let the judge do the talking. This is Inside Out with James Catledge. Thanks for being here.